All right. Well, uh, this morning we are going to be, last week we kind of introduced the series that we're going to be in between now and mid-October when we're going to launch into another sermon series that we're planning. Um, but between now and then, as we're leading up towards small group signups and all that, we're going to be wa- working our way through some of the great one another passages of the Bible. The Bible contains so many one another passages. It's one of the most common expressions in your Bibles. When God speaks to his people, he tends to speak to us as a group. And one of the things that he communicates again and again and again and again is his heart for us to be a one another people. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. (laughs) This is a team thing. This is a community thing. And the way that God has chosen to work in the midst of his people is to meet all kinds of our needs and, and to help us through the one another community of the church. And so what we're going to be doing between now and small group sign-up season is talking about one anotherness. I don't think that's a word, but maybe we just invented it here at State Road. I don't, is there another? There probably is a word for it. I don't know. I don't speak English good, which is <laughs> a problem in my chosen vocation. Uh, but this morning, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. It reads this, this way. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Uh, I think uh, one of the reasons um, why we really need to spend time with this verse is because at least at first blush... This verse, if you read it just in isolation from everything else that the Bible says, sounds a lot like what a lot of voices in our culture are saying right now. Encourage one another, build one another up as you're doing. Uh, Our culture really, and I've, I've talked about this a great deal in the past, but I think it's worth repeating, but in our culture today, the pursuit of truth is all about becoming more authentically yourself. If you have a desire within you um, to be truly yourself, you must act on that desire. You must be open and proud of that desire, whatever it may be. That's what our culture says. Christianity says the opposite. It says, no, the pursuit of truth is not the quest to become more authentically yourself, but to become more authentically like Jesus. And the problem with humanity is that we're filled, all of us are. I'm not just talking about people out there or just you. I'm talking about me. Even as I'm a new man in Christ, I've been made righteous, justified before the throne. I'm still struggling to put off the old man. I'm still trying to put to death those strongholds of sin in my life. But when I look at my inner world, it is full of these misshapen longings and disordered desires. And if you came to me and you said, just be yourself, I cry foul. (laughs) That's wrong. I want friends who will come to me and say, just be like Jesus, be more like Jesus, and to help me not just become doubling down on my error or my sinful cravings, but to die to that and to pursue a more excellent way, a higher calling. And I think we need to be able somehow to love people in the midst of their sinful brokenness while encouraging them to pursue truth and becoming more authentically like Jesus. And so my worry is that these words do not sound controversial to the world until we explain them. (laughs) 
Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The question we have to ask is encourage towards what? Build up what? What are we building? And in those questions, these words as the Apostle Paul first intended them become quite controversial in the midst of our culture and quite exciting for us within the church. I started last week by saying when I read the one another passages all together, I come away from them in their aggregate. It's just a very exciting vision for the church. <laughs> I love the church. I have, I have experienced wonderful things in the midst of God's people, love the church and all of its expressions, but I'm still left craving something better, aren't you? And I'm excited to think about what God might bring into existence here among us at State Road through our time studying these one another passages. I want to live in this kind of community that I've seen God lay out in his word. And so this morning, we want to spend a little bit of time thinking about what it means to build one another up and what it means to encourage one another biblically. I think it takes humility to first confess your need and become a Christian. I don't think anybody can become a Christian without some measure of Holy Spirit-given humility. It takes humility to say, I need help. And that's, just, that's the essence of the gospel. The gospel is coming to Jesus and saying, I need you to do for me what I can't do for myself. I need your righteousness. I don't have any. That's the gospel. It takes humility to become a Christian. And I think it takes humility also to grow as a Christian into deeper Christ-likeness. Now, I begin this morning by talking about humility because it will require some measure of humility on our parts to see our need for others to encourage and build us up. All of us are a work in progress, and frankly, I think most people would admit that. I don't think that's where the humility lies. For example, I don't think that confessing your need to become, to improve, <laughs> requires any great amount of humility. Most human beings, inside and outside of the church, do not believe they are a finished product. This is why we all laugh at the song, It's Hard to Be Humble by Mac Davis, right? Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Like, nobody takes them seriously. As you're getting more songs again this week. This is great. This is going to continue till I get a record deal. We all laugh at Mac Davis when he sings that song because it's obviously tongue-in-cheek. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Speaking generally, most specimens of humanity are clear-sighted enough that they would confess they are not perfect in every way. They need lots of improvement. They're not who they wish they were. They could improve. However, what is difficult for humanity? This is really where the humility is required. What's really hard for human beings generally is the truth that we need others to build us up and that we can't get there through self-help alone. I love self-help stuff. Why? Because I don't need you to do it. <laughs> uh, right now, we're having some work done at our house, and I have to move a pool table down into the basement. Well, we had a plan to move it, and I think we've scratched that plan. 
But I had plans to call people and line up people to come and move my pool table. And I'll tell you the truth. I would almost rather suffer the loss of that pool table than call people on the phone and ask them to help me move it. Why? Because I can destroy it all by myself. (laughs) I don't want to impose on anyone else. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want people to be like, yes, and then grumble about it. I would just rather not go through that. And so it's really hard for me, if there's something I need help with, to confess that I can't do that through self-help. That the way God has designed it and and drawn it up is that we need community in order to be built up. A part of me would just really love the idea if God said, build yourself up through, build yourself up. But he doesn't. He says, build up one another. Now, I think that that does require some extraordinary amount of humility, which, by the way, I do not need help moving my pool table. We're good. (laughs) At least not yet. I'll call you if I do. The word in the original Greek writings that is translated in our Bibles as build up, or your version might say edify, is oikodomeo. This word quite literally means construction, house building. It's closely related to another Greek word, oikodome, which relates to architectural plans and design. All Christian believers are in the construction business, and every Christian's inner world is a construction zone. We're called to build up one another, and we have an important role in helping other believers to grow, to mature in faith and character, and all Christians have been given through the Holy Spirit building materials that are needed in the effort to build one another up. Uh, This is one of the reasons why that prolonged period of time during the COVID pandemic was so concerning to spirit-led church leadership. We we really understand the one-anotherness of the body of Christ, that that's necessary for building up, for encouraging, for all kinds of things. And when we cease being a one-another people, we cease being together There are real spiritual consequences for that. I need you, not just in an abstract kind of way. I think we need to be together. We need to have relationships. I need to have you in close enough contact with me that you're in a position to encourage and build me up and a whole host of other things. And so one of the things is we come out of that time together where we participated in a coordinated effort to slow the spread of a dread virus and There's certainly wisdom in that, too. We have to balance all these things together. Um, But we really want to foster one anotherness again as a people. This is critically important, very, very important. Here are some verses we find in the Bible about building others up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, says 1 Corinthians 8.1. Romans 14, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Romans 15, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. 1 Corinthians 14, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. In Ephesians 4, we read this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
building up the body. Later in Ephesians 4, we read this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.11, our verse for this morning, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Our verse begins with that word, therefore. And of course, whenever we find this in the Bible, that word therefore connects the thought we're reading with the verses that come right before it. So let's go back and let's read verses 1 through 10. When it says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, he's saying, because these things that came before it are true, you should be doing these things. You must be doing these things for one another. So here are verses 1 through 10. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. I think that when we put this all together, here's the, here's the train of Paul's logic. There is a day coming like a train down the tracks. <laughs> it is unstoppable. It's coming. It's coming in like the tide. And a lot of human beings are just kind of sleepy. They're, they're not living like it's true. They're not living like there is a coming day of wrath and reward. And they're not living today in a way that reflects that Jesus is their Lord. And so what he talks about here in these 10 verses, what he kind of pairs together is there is a coming day, and what difference does that make in how you live? Are you, be, are you living like Jesus is your Lord, and do you believe that, that he's coming back? This reminds me very much of what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and what's going to be the verses that we're studying in Hide and Seek Club. Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Interesting that Jesus is using building as his analogy here. The talk, we're going to talk about building one another up. Jesus, in his analogy, talks about building a house. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. 
This in theme is very similar to what Paul is writing in verses 1 through 10. Jesus is saying that there's a building project going on, and that building project, the way you build, is very important because there is a storm coming. And in that day, what has been built will be revealed. And I think that when he says, when he's talking here, it's very interesting to me and very worth noting that when Jesus describes the foolish builder, he does not describe the foolish builder as somebody who was ignorant of his teachings, but as somebody who heard them and didn't do them. That's what he's saying. Paul is writing his letter to the Thessalonian church, people who presumably were sitting under the teaching of God's word. And when he's saying encourage and build up, I think part of what he's saying is make, take care what foundation you're building your life on. Encourage people to put their trust in Jesus. Encourage people to submit to Jesus as Lord. Encourage people to love righteousness and to put to death all kinds of wickedness in their inner world. And build on the truth of the gospel. Don't build on the shaky foundation that your goodness is what will count in the end. Build on the perfect righteousness of Christ. Build in trust in what Jesus did for you. All these things are present in what uh, Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church. And I believe when Jesus says here um, that the wise man is the person who built on the rock, that is, heard Jesus' commands and did them. I think that what needs to be spoken to the church, what people need to be encouraged towards and built up in, is following Jesus' commands, loving what he loved, putting their trust in Jesus and his promises in the gospel. Clearly, we should not be encouraged in all of our pursuits and attitudes. <laughs> Clearly, we should not be built up if we're continuing in error. Uh, part of the words, as you know, some of you know, Sarah and I are doing some work over at our house in Washburn, having a lot of fun doing it. But um, we're finding as we go that down through the hundred plus years of that building's existence, there have been sins, grievous sins. <laughs> so, some things were done that should not be done to buildings that people live in. And uh, so we've had to tear some stuff out before we can build it straight and true again. And um, that's been very instructive to me, that there are some things in my life that are not plumb. They're, they're wanky. They're not right. And they really need to be demoed before we can build in a way that's gospel true, gospel straight. And some of that needs to be going on. And that's the work of encouragement and building up. When we're talking about building, I mean, growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the cancer cell. Right? We're, we're not just building to build. We're building something that is building something that's good and productive. And so we need to pay close attention to what we're building. In Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, it says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Grow up in every way into him. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So one of the things I really want to see flourish in a community where I live and where I'm raising my kids, I really want to be amongst brothers and sisters 
who are building me and my family up in this way where we're being encouraged towards greater Christ-likeness, more love. We're being encouraged towards righteousness. We're being encouraged and built up to put our trust in Jesus for our salvation and for all things. And one of the things we have to admit is that by coming to a church, you are choosing in a very important way a tool that will shape you. Uh, This is, again, where humility is required. I think we all, to some extent, want to feel self-made in some way. But when we come and put ourselves in the midst of a church community, we're looking around and saying, these are the people who I am asking will be God's appointed means of grace to shape me, to build me up. And we need to soberly realize that that's who I am to you. That's who you are to me. That's our function together in a one another community is we're not to just ignore how Josh is leaning at a 45 degree angle. We got to pound that sucker straight and true again. And we need to build one another up and we need to speak up and we need to help one another. And I think this is where this gets really controversial in our culture today, where instead of ideas like objectively straight up and down 90 degree angles and stuff, we'll just, however you're leaning, that's right. That's how it ought to be for you. And it gets very controversial when the church looks at the world from a different worldview, a different frame of authority and reference. We don't look within ourselves to determine right or wrong. Right and wrong is determined externally from God's word. And we try to build our lives in line with that, not subjective feeling, not anything else. And that gets very controversial in the midst of our culture. Let me uh, speak here. I need to move quickly, but I want to speak this morning about this idea of encouraging one another. We'll close by talking about encouragement. Uh, I find that within the church, there is often some very real discomfort surrounding the giving and receiving of an encouraging word. Uh, Very often, I'll go to somebody like uh, just... Just this past week, I had lots of reason to be thankful and encouraging to people because people were so encouraging to me. Uh, I had one woman in our church family, I won't mention her name, I didn't ask her permission, but she used her employee discount at her place of work to buy a bunch of stuff for the public works department meeting last night. I mean, it was great, and I didn't even ask her to do it. She just showed up at my office with all this stuff, and I was blown away by the open-handed generosity of that. I felt encouraged, and I you know, just started to say thank you and to try and explain the fullness of my heart. And uh, instantly in that moment when you're talking to a fellow Christian, very often the response is, oh, it was, you know, please don't, no big deal. <laughs> there's a, there's, a, there's a, a palpable discomfort in that exchange when I start to say to you, this is amazing what you've done or how you're acting, or I think this is incredible. It's like, oh, please don't do that. <laughs> you know, and so we but I think this is because we're all sensitive to Jesus' exhortation in Matthew 6 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
I think this is a big part of why it's so uncomfortable for us to give and receive encouraging words to one another. None of us want to be perceived as a showboat Christian who do what we do for the praise of a human audience. None of us want to be guilty of seeking our own glory by encouraging others to praise and celebrate us. And yet, Jesus was an encourager. He described Nathanael as an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He said of John the Baptist that no man born of woman was greater than him. Jesus publicly praised the heart of the infamously sinful woman in Luke 7 who washed his feet with her hair, saying, She has loved much. He said of the centurion who pleaded with him to heal his servant, Not even in Israel have I found such faith. Those are all powerfully encouraging things that I think if I said them to a fellow believer in the halls of State Road AC Church, there would be that palpable sort of discomfort. You have incredible faith. Oh, me? No. Aw, shucks. (laughs) You love people so much. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, please don't do that. Right? But that's how Jesus talked. And 1 Thessalonians is kind of this primer on how to encourage one another within the church. Paul, uh, Paul loves the Thessalonian church. It comes through when you read his letters to them. This is just a warm corner of the kingdom to him. Uh, these are people that he just, they're very encouraging to him. I think his letters have a, a real tone of encouragement to them. And for example, here are some principles which we'll have to go through very quickly for how to encourage one another in church. The first thing that we see in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians is don't be a flatterer. In chapter 2, he says this, for our, verses 3 through 5, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Paul, um, so one of the first important things we need to see is that just as we should encourage one another, we should not try to create a feeling in somebody by saying things to them that are not true. For example, if I preach an absolute egg of a sermon and everybody in the room knows it was terrible, (laughs) that was long and boring and windy and not helpful at all. In fact, I think there were some things that were wrong that he said. Some people out of sympathy, when that happens, will meet me at the back door and go the extra mile to say how much they appreciated my sermon. Because they feel like, oh, and I'm not saying this has happened, I'm just using this as a scenario, but it has happened. <laughs> Where we, I know it was bad, you know it was bad, it was a rough Sunday morning together, but we all know it, and so at the back door, everybody's just like, you're an amazing speaker. Silver tongue, Josh Tate, that's what I call you. Now that's flattery. I appreciate the heart of it, Right? You want me to feel better. You want to encourage me. But that's not the way to do it. Shouldn't do flattery. Paul goes out of his way to say, I did not come to you with words of flattery. That's not what this is about. Let God be witness. 
And then he goes into talking about how he, what Paul does when he encourages is he communicates his heart in a very authentic way to these people. Uh, he's going to say, I did not come to use you. I didn't come to gain glory for myself or money. And then he says in verse 6, again of chapter 2, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, that makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) I don't think I'll say that to my church. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is one of the ways Paul wants to encourage this church, is just by telling them, you are dear to me. I feel as tenderly towards you as a mom who's nursing a child feels towards that baby. I just want to see you nurtured, helped, protected, held close. You are very dear to me. This is part of the way Paul is talking to this church. It's very encouraging. And again, and I don't think this is a a church thing necessarily, but maybe an aristic county thing. You're a very stoic people. You're not a very emotive people. I, and again, like Jane Goodall among the chimps, I've been studying you all this time, and I'm, I'm from away. Let me just talk to you as you are. Uh, as soon as you start saying things like, I love you, <laughs> you belong south of Bangor. I don't know, that's, that's kind of the feel of this. But one of the things we have to be able to grow in our ability, because it's encouraging, and, you, and whether you admit it or not, Aristic County people, you have a hunger for it. You want to be loved. You, you want to have the sense that you're living among a people who care for you. And one of the ways that God has given us to demonstrate that is to open your Aristic County mouth and say it. I love you guys. I think, I think you're awesome. And I am rooting for you, and I want good things for you. I want this to be great. You know, I think this is just a hard thing for folks up here to to say out loud, but Paul demonstrates us the necessity of it. In, In encouraging one another, we need to be communicating our hearts for one another. So that first one is don't flatter people. Communicate your heart. Let them know how you feel about them. Three, celebrate character rather than giftedness. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says this, Remember before our, Lord, our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. When Paul goes to speak to these people in an encouraging way, He doesn't talk really that much about what they're doing, but the spirit with which they're doing it. He says, you ought to walk and please God just as you are doing. That's an encouraging line. I see that you're doing this, and I want to encourage that in you. He's talking to them about their character more than their giftedness. In chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, it says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing. 
all the brothers throughout Macedonia, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. You guys are amazing at loving one another. And you should do this more and more. And then, of course, in our verse for this morning, he again adds that line, just as you are doing. So this is something very important to see, is to um, praise people for their character, not necessarily what they're doing. Um, The spirit with which they're serving, rather than the excellence of the final product. Something else is the God-centered praise of man. Uh, This is a really hard thing to get right. But I can tell you from experience that over the years that I've been a preacher, which now we're coming up on a decade, really, of doing this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, I have received a lot of encouragement at the back door or just following a service, an email, that kind of thing. And I'm grateful for all of it, really and truly. Anybody who takes time to write me a card or send me an email or just grab me and say something encouraging. It's always, I'm grateful for it, uh, even if I'm uncomfortable in the giving of it. But I would say this, um, the times that encouragement has been most encouraging to me are when people have come up to me and said, here's what God was saying, here's what God did in in me through your message this morning. You have no idea what you spoke about this morning Really, God used it to confront me. God used it to encourage me in something that was going on. In other words, it's like I'm thankful to God that he gave you that message today. And when that happens, I mean, I feel like a million bucks. I feel way better if somebody says, God used that, and here's how, than if they say, you have a real way with words. Or you look good. Have you lost weight? (laughs) Something, but no, no. <laughs> those kind of things that thank you, and that is nice, and those, all those things are encouraging, but that's the best. Direct the attention when you're encouraging people to what God did through them. Paul does this in chapter 1, verses 2 through 3 in Thessalonians. He says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives thanks to who? To God, not the Thessalonians. I give thanks to God because of you. That's wonderfully encouraging to any Christian servant to hear. You were the cause of my thanks to God, what you did, what you said, your example. In chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Again, man, God is using you. We'll move on from that thought. Uh, He's also very encouraging to them in the midst of afflictions. This is the last one that I want to point out this morning. There's lots of indications throughout the letter to the Thessalonians that they're going through some tough stuff. Chapter 1, verse 5, For you received the word in much affliction. 
chapter 2, verse 14. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as, you, as they did from the Jews. And in chapter 3, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in, the, in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. You just kind of get the idea that there are some really hard things going on in the life of this church and in the surrounding culture in which they're trying to navigate. And that's true for us today, whether it's the culture we live in or just the circumstances of your life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Job said, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. There are all these afflictions that are happening all the time. And one of your jobs, if you want to hear it that way, one of your missions, one of the things that God has given you to delight in is being an encouragement to one another in the midst of their afflictions. Encourage them to hold on, to not let go of Jesus, to put their trust in a promised day when we're going to trade our cross in for a crown. So that's what I want to say this morning. State Road, we are a people who are called by God to build one another up. You're called by God to put yourself in position where others can build you up. This is a receiving thing, and it's a giving thing. This is the body of Christ. And we're called to encourage one another in these ways, not through flattery, but in sincerity, talking about the ways that God has used you in, in our lives and in all those different ways. So here's my challenge for you this week. I'm going to close with a very specific point of application. Here's what I want you to do with this information. <laughs> I want you to leave this place today and spend some time in prayer with God. Is there somebody who you want me to encourage this week? And I want you to send them a note. Uh, you can send it anonymous, anonymously if you'd like. That's fine. Uh, maybe somebody's just really going through a tough time. You've been watching them for a while, and you've been feeling sympathy, but you've not really said much to them. This week, take time, write a little note, encourage them in the midst of their afflictions. Let them know that you prayed for them, that you just wanted to encourage them not to let go of their hope in Jesus, and just to let them know that you're with them in the midst of what's going on. Maybe you can send somebody a gas card or something like that. I don't know. Maybe you've been blessed through somebody's example or the exercise of their gifts or something that they're doing or said really struck you in a way that God used it in your own life, but you've never said so. Maybe write a note this week. Tell them how they've, you've been pointed toward God through them. You could drop a line to one of our missionaries that we support. Uh, Pastor Andrew could get you an address to send that to. We've had college students that have gone out from us and are trying to get their legs under them in a new context, maybe in a context that's hostile to their faith, and they might just really need a note from back home to encourage them in the midst of that. You could send a card to a young parent with a gift certificate to a takeout place, or maybe consider writing a note to one of our littlest worshipers, little kids who never get their own mail. <laughs> And just drop them a line to let them know you think they're special and that you're glad that they come to church. All different kinds of possibilities. But I want you to do this this week, uh, to get alone with God, ask Him for a name, 
Pick up a card somewhere and send it to somebody within the church family. If you need help with an address, let me know. I'll get it to you. Okay? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I need you, and the very often the way that you show up to meet my need for you is through the body of Christ. Father, I am grateful, so, so grateful that you brought me and my family to State Road Advent Christian Church. Father, this verse has been made real in my life. I have been encouraged and built up here. That's what these folks are doing. But as Paul said to the Thessalonians, we can do this more and more. God, a a pastor once said that an unguarded strength is a double weakness. And Father, I would say that this area of encouragement and building one another up is a genuine strength here at State Road. But Father, we want to be careful to nurture that strength, to see it more and more, not resting on our laurels. And so, God, I pray that you would draw us deeper in this area this week. God, as my friends get alone with you in prayer and ask you for a name, God, I pray that you would just sprinkle throughout this congregation imaginative, creative ways to build up and encourage. Father, I listed just a few scenarios at the end, but... God, you are a a wild God. You're a God whose thoughts are not our thoughts and ways are not our ways. And so, Father, we ask you to fill us with creativity as we move in response to this challenge. Father, give us the words to communicate clearly our heart, to not engage in flattery, but to encourage in the midst of afflictions, to encourage uh, character over giftedness, And to give thanks to you for the way that our friends here in this room have um, been a blessing and a help to us. Father, in these ways, uh, we, we hope to encourage one another towards you and to build up on the foundation of Christ and the good news of the gospel. Thank you for your church. Thank you, God, for being our God. In Jesus' name, amen.